2 Corinthians 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. Paul, uh, he writes, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I not, do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? You know, you read a passage like this and you go, am I even a Christian? Paul went through all of that. You're like, how in the world did he pull that off? And he stayed faithful. He got put in prison time and time again. And he kept writing letters. When he was in prison, he wrote letters to encourage the people who weren't. Like, who is this guy? He's just a disciple. And that's what he wants for you and me. That's what he wanted for the Corinthian church. But when I think about what this man went through for the sake of the gospel, I think about the title of the sermon today. It takes grit. Now, I was talking to Chaz about this, and we're not talking about grits, okay? It, it, it takes grits to evangelize the world. You got to eat grits, put butter on it, a little salt and pepper, then you can evangelize. That's not what we're talking about. As much as I love grits and southern food, oh yeah, Chaz, Chaz, that's not what we're talking about today. Talking about grit, you know, that toughness. To, to go through what Paul went through, he didn't just need a bowl of grits, he needed grit. He needed to be tough. He needed to figure out how to dig down deep and understand why he was doing it. Just being tough isn't going to get you through. You have to have a spiritual grit in your insides, the core of who you are. There's an interesting definition for grit. Grit is a positive, non-cognitive trait based on an individual's perseverance of effort combined with the passion for a particular long-term goal. Courage, resolve, Resilience, initiative, tenacity, guts, strength of character. And the root word for character is chiseled. It's to be chiseled into you. You need character. You're going to make it as a disciple the rest of your life? Are you really going to make it as a disciple the rest of your life? Are you ready for the battles and the trials that you're going to face? I'm not sure I am, but that's my heart. I want to be. I don't, I, I don't know what's coming next. I know what I've been through. A lot of really awesome good stuff. And sometimes I'm like, I'm shipwrecked at sea. You know, like, what's going on? You ever had that, that week or that month where you're kind of in your room and you're in fetal position? Like, <laughs> what happened to me? You know, what, what's going on? You know, you can't figure out how to. 
get through it. And you're just like, like, what do I do now? You know, three weeks ago, it was so easy. It's just like I'm gliding through life. Being a Christian's fun. And then it's like, <laughs> what happened to me? You're <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. Those times will come and go. But will you? So today, the title of the lesson is, It Takes Grit. And see, we're not just talking about staying faithful for the rest of our lives. Hey, I hope you make it to heaven and, you know, I, you know, I hope I don't die first. And, I mean, I want to get through it and not just hope I don't die. Yeah. You're going to die. That's a done deal. But are you going to die faithful? Are you going to die faithful? But more than just dying faithful, I made it, is we've got a job to do. Chris and Sonia talked about it. Crown of thorns. What we're trying to do and set our hearts before God to do around the world is crazy. Yeah. It's ludicrous. People like us going to do this? Who in the world do we think we are? And you know what's interesting? We are going to all 50 states. We're going to go to 196 nations. God has already given us in just a couple of years 127 churches around the world with people with less talent and heart than a lot of you. But let me tell you something they have. They have grit. And they fight hard. And we need to make sure that as we move forward in the Orlando church, that we have grit. I have three points today. The first of which is in uh, never waste good. In Acts chapter 16. Turn with me to Acts 16. Our text today will be in the book of Acts. I like to stick with one passage and let the Holy Spirit guide me rather than kind of doing whatever I want. I, I know Chad said he was prideful. I know Chris is prideful. Amen. Can I get an amen? Um, <laughs> can I get a witness? <laughs> The only thing Chris takes pride in is his humility. I'm kidding. Chris is amazing. Um, so our text would be Acts 16, and point number one is never waste good. In verse 1, it says, he came to Derby. He's talking about Paul. He came to Derby in the Delistra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, what's interesting is we find that Timothy's mother was a disciple, but his father was just mentioned as a Greek. So what we find here is a divided family. The mother's a disciple, the father is not. He's just a Greek, or they would have mentioned his name. They would have talked more specifically about him. He's just a Greek. And so you go, well, wow, what a tough thing. Only his mom was a disciple, but Timothy became a disciple at a young age, and he was faithful, and Paul took note. It says, verse 2, the brothers of Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. See, Greeks cannot go into the synagogue or into the temple, and so Paul goes, let's take care of this, amen. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders for the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Isn't that a sensitive word sometimes? You need to obey. Remember your parents, you say, you need to obey, <laughs> It's a bad rap, doesn't it? Yeah. Obey, India. Don't obey. <laughs> obey. 
Is that good or bad? Obey, Martin. You need to obey. Amen. <laughs> so they, they get there, they deliver the letters, and it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Point number one, never waste good. Paul gets into Lister and Durban, and he sees this guy, Timothy, and goes, I want that dude. He looks awesome. By the way, two different churches are speaking well of him. I need him. I, uh, I watched this show. Uh, you, you'll probably start watching it after today. Called NCIS. And, you know, it's one of those shows that has, there's not a lot of sexual stuff, thank God. Almost nothing has that. And, and very little cursing and garbage. It's just a good kind of show. I like it. They're not disciples, you know what I mean? But... <laughs> But well, my favorite character on this show is Gibbs, and Gibbs is kind of, he's the leader of the crew, and they're, they're Naval Criminal Investigative Service, so they investigate all these murders and problems in, in you know, the Naval Yard there in, in D.C., and uh, Gibbs lives by a set of rules, and I just got a gift the other day, one of the brothers uh, heard me talk about this, and he got me a gift, and it's a cup, it's literally a coffee cup, with all of Gibbs' rules listed on it, from 1, one to 99. And uh, several of them are skipped. There's really only about 40, but, and a couple of them are used twice. But <laughs> um, I get this point from one of Gibbs' rules. Rule number nine, never go anywhere without a knife. Now, I've been carrying a knife since I was a little kid. I promise I won't hurt you with it, but I use it every day for something multiple times a day. So Gibbs rule number nine, never go anywhere without a knife. Rule number 51. Come on, Martin. <laughs> rule number 51, Martin's got a knife. Rule number 51 is sometimes you're wrong. I mean, that's not a scripture, but it should be. I mean, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> sometimes you're wrong. But rule number five, never waste good. Paul comes into Lystra and Derby, and they're not there for nothing. You know, last, uh, last night when we got together with the leadership group, there were a couple people that looked a little nervous. And later, Amy told me why. She says, yeah, I thought maybe we were in trouble. I was like, no, we were in trouble. I mean, Helen will be nice. You're not in trouble. Um, but they were there in Lister and Derby because they had to bring the letter to set the hearts free of these disciples. In the beginning of the church, only Jews became disciples, and now Gentiles are becoming disciples too. Thank God, because I don't know if there's any Jews in the house, but none of us would be here unless this happened. So thank God that happened. The whole world could get the message, not just Jews. You know what's cool is now we are the true Jews. That's another lesson for another time. <laughs> There were, false there were false teachers. There was false doctrine. There were people being used by Satan to ravage God's church all over the world. And so the apostles got together. They had a council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. They said, no, we cannot let this happen. We've got to fix this. They wrote a letter. They prayed about it. And they sent off Paul and Barnabas to go preach, Paul and Silas. And they were there now preaching the word. So they're not there just to have fun. This was an intense moment in time. They're coming together to make sure that the church is taken care of. They're there also to find good. I think when they showed up in Lister and Derby, they go, you know what, this is an awesome city. 
It's an awesome city. It's not the biggest city there. You know, Orlando's not the biggest city in Florida, but it is an awesome city. And uh, kind of cool is I walked into Chris and Sonia's house yesterday, and then disciple after disciple came and hugged us. And there was a couple of familiar faces and a lot I didn't know. I go, there's so much good. This is amazing. Look at these people. Look at the heart. Look at the character. Look at the passion for God. There's so much good. Doesn't have to be the biggest city in Florida. But you guys have brought so much good to this city. Paul was there to find leaders because he needed to speed up world evangelism. You go, uh, someone asked me recently, why are we going so fast? And I go, no, why are we going so slow? I mean, it's a city where your mom is and your grandmother is and your cousin and your uncle, your best friend. Is it evangelized yet? No, we're not going fast enough. So we need more men and women that will step up and go, I'll go to another city or I'll preach my heart out right here in Orlando. Paul was asking himself, okay, we're here to fix some stuff up, but he's asking himself, well, how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? I get to go send this letter and talk to all the churches. You know, if you would gui- be guided in your thinking, how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? You know, my mom just died, or my dog just died, or I just lost my job. How is that the best thing that ever happened to you? Don't waste the good of that moment. It's quite possibly because you were in sin. And so God allowed you to go through that to wake you up. That is a good thing. Never waste good. Or maybe just simply he had a better job or a better situation for you and he wanted to get you out of where you were. Never waste good. So Paul looks around and he sees Timothy and he goes, man, this guy is spoken well of. He's a good, great disciple. He's uniquely qualified to be one of my guys to help me go speed up world evangelism. Paul's thinking, what if I die? What if I get put in prison again? What if I get disabled in another riot? Because every city he went to, he preached the word and it started a riot. Got beat to death several times. He says, how do I find another man that's going to help me get the job done? I need a world evangelizer. I need another guy with grit. I got to have him. Every disciple brings so much some of you right now are thinking, yeah, you don't understand how weak I am. It doesn't matter how weak you are. You are the hope for this city. It doesn't matter how hard January's been for you. You're the hope for this city. You've been forgiven. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't care if you got weak or if it's been the greatest month of your life. You bring so much good. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. You are chosen by God, intended for good. But you ask yourself, well, bro, I I really need to change. What do I need to do? Well, Paul had a plan for Timothy. He said, it's time to be circumcised. I think Paul carried a knife. Amen. And he didn't even know Gibbs rules. Hey, Timothy, come here. All right, let's go, bro. so uncomfortable <laughs> you're thinking yeah bro I, I'm, I'm in America what are you talking about I'm talking about circumcise your heart whatever's going on in you that's not glorifying God right now you need to remember why you repented and got baptized in the first place to get rid of all that stuff to cut it off you know the way I think of sin 
is, you know how we usually think of sin? It's like, oh, you know, I've got, you ever had your pet sins? You know, I just lust a little bit. It's like a little lamb, your little lamb pet lust sin. My little lamb sin. I know, so it's so cute. It was bad, but it's so cute. Kind of pet it. You know, oh, my little sin, lust sin. It's cute. No, here's what you do. You take out a sword, you cut off its throat, and you stab it down the neck. That's what you do with sin. I got some really weird looks right there. I'm being very graphic because we play games with sin. And so our hearts are not circumcised from the garbage that we left, and then we find ourselves ineffective in the ministry. We're not doing what we hope to do or want to do or plan to do or dream of doing. Never waste good. You were made to be good by Jesus Christ so that other people could have hope. Cut off whatever is stopping you so that you can do what needs to be done. Maybe it's money or the lack thereof. Maybe it's, I I just want a girlfriend. I want a boyfriend. Way to go, Charles. But did you get baptized so that you can get married? Did you become a disciple so you can get a better job? You're going to go straight to hell. What in the world? I got baptized to have a better life. No, I don't think so. But if you live like a disciple, you will have a better life. Because you're living for a purpose. you got to cut off some garbage in your life that's keeping you from seeing the good of what God is doing. Maybe even as you've aged, I've aged a little. Amen? Irritating sometimes. But as I age, I find that it's easy to slow down. I'm 55. I'll be 56 next month. Oh, my back. (laughs) You know, my leg, I got the sciatica, you know. (laughs) I mean, as we get older, we come up with every excuse in the book to not live like a disciple. I'm 35, bro. I'm getting up there. Take me home. You know, like, what are you doing? You're acting so old. You don't understand how hard my life is. I'm 24. But in all seriousness, as we get older, things break. You slow down, but you don't have to slow down spiritually. It's easy to want to settle into that comfortable spot and just kind of... You ever get on, you ever, you know, like last night, it got a little cold, didn't it? How many of you guys turned on the heat last night? You actually turned on the heat, right? But you know what I really love? I love when it's really cold in the house. And then, and then you, you get under the blankets, you're like, oh, so nice. And then the alarm goes off, you're like, get behind me, Satan! <laughs> you know? And you're thinking, if I could just stay under this warm, comfy blanket for a while. And that's how we live life sometimes. It's just so comfortable not changing. It's so comfortable being lazy. It's so comfortable not sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. It's so comfortable indulging in my sin. It's so comfortable not giving myself away and pushing myself so other people could have hope. Come on. You need grit to get out of bed when it's cold. <laughs> to pull the blankets off and go, okay, time to go. But isn't it exciting once you get up and kind of stoke the fires of spiritual juices in your heart? All of a sudden, you're like, okay, now I understand. 
You ever had a couple days you just don't give your heart, you give in to anger or sin of some kind, and you're frustrated, and you go, no, I am not going to live that way. You talk to someone about it, you get open, you say, I need some help. You pray together, and all of a sudden you're like, conquer, victory, conquer, victory. Like, now I know what I'm doing this for. There's something about it. Never waste good. You have brought so much to the table, Orlando Church. You've given so much. You know, we planted the church here in 2012. Hell and I had the privilege of coming here with the mission team. And it was, it was miraculous. It was awesome. And then just 18 months later, we planted Gainesville. One month after that, we planted Houston. A couple years later, we planted Tampa. After that, we planted Miami. Then Miami has then sent a mission team to help take care of TNT. We sent people to D.C. We sent people to Delaware. We sent 17 disciples up to Atlanta to take care of that church. Why? Because the Orlando church gave birth to all these other churches. As the video was playing, I got a little choked up. I'm, I'm a little bit of an emotional person, if you know me. And as I saw baptism after baptism and victory and whoever that was that was dancing, that was, that was awesome. I was like, I love this church. I love this church. Because this congregation has a heart to cut off anything that's going to stop us. Never waste good. There are hundreds of disciples all over the South now because of you. Never waste good. What's coming in the future? What's coming in the future for the Orlando church? What church are you going to plan next? Amen. That's it? What church are you going to plan? You guys heard of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill said, We shall not fail or falter. We shall not weaken or tire. Neither the sudden shock of battle or the long-drawn trials of vigilance and exertion will wear us down. Give us the tools, and we will finish the job. I would argue that Orlando has the tools. You have awesome 85 sold-out disciples here. You have the tools. Now finish the job. I believe in 2022, we're going to see the Orlando church stronger and even more fired up. You know, we got in, and... Got to get with the Davises and the Klopeks. Had a great dinner. I ate so much sushi, I don't know what happened. And we laughed for, I don't know, a couple hours. Laughed, had fun. It's just great. What good you have in the leadership in this congregation. This is amazing. Grab a hold of your Bible talk. Look at your Bible talk and go, what good is here? And some of us sometimes we think, hey, good for nothing, Bible talk leader. They were forgiven just like you. <laughs> They're trying to lead you. <laughs> Amen? And you need to, to honor each other and go, man, my Bible talk, maybe we slowed down, maybe we're off focus. So what? That was yesterday. Never waste good. Cut off whatever needs to come off of there and get after it and watch what God can do. But do not allow it just to stay the same. That is wasting good. 
You know, uh, talking with Chris and Sonia, and we got, again, we got together again yesterday for a couple hours and had a great time with them. I am blown away how much they love the church. They love you guys. They love you guys. They would kill themselves physically to take care of every single one of you. And they have. I would ask you, don't waste good in what God has given you. I don't think you are, but I, I also don't know if you understand how much they do and how much help they need. I told the leaders, I said, guys, I want you to look for ways to serve. Don't wait for them to tell you. Look for ways to take things off Christmas on his plate. Physically speaking, Chris is a walking miracle. That's a miracle from God, but also it has slowed him down a little bit. Now, Chris is never going to focus on that because that's not who Chris is. Chris is going to keep going. He doesn't care. <laughs> He's got grit. Dude is tough as nails. And anyone who can be married to Chris is tough as nails. I'm just kidding. She's got grit. Imitate their hearts. Look how much they serve. Look at what they do for you. And then you do it instead of them. You do it before they do it. Take stuff off their plate so they can focus on prayer and the ministry of the word so the church can get even bigger. Last time I was here, this place was not this full. Okay? I think we're going to have to move back here a little ways, but I think we're going to have to get a new building. So as the church gets bigger, you got to take more and more off of Chris and Sonia's plate so that more and more people are taken care of. You need to be like Timothy and go, okay, here am I, send me. What else needs to happen? I'll take care of it. Chris, sit down. I got it. Sonia, I got it. That takes grit. Because a lot of times we want to pay our ministers to do our Christianity for us. But not in the kingdom of God. So right now, I want to challenge you, never waste good. You know, I get these reports, and the last one I got said there are 115 disciples in Boston, 32 in Philadelphia, 24 in Providence, 65 in Syracuse, and 248 in New York City, 85 in Orlando, 50 in Gainesville, 56 in Tampa, 190 in Miami, 43 in TAT, and 45 in Atlanta. And that doesn't count the 450 in South Asia and the 650 in the Caribbean. You know what that is? It's a lot of good. That's a lot of good. Just in the U.S. churches in the Sages World sector, we have almost 1,000 disciples. Never waste good. There's so much good. Have you wasted it? Have you let it slip on by? You know, in the Caribbean, we have 650 disciples, but this past year, we only had 95 baptisms. And I saw, I was talking to the, the overseeing evangelist there, Jean Bernard, and I said, bro, we're going to work on this. He needs help. He wants help. Super humble. The hardest working man I have ever met in my life. Right now, he's in another city preaching the word. I think they're going to have like another 15, 20 baptisms today. And I'm like, okay, but they need some help. And so what we're going to start doing is bringing Jean Bernard and his wife Loverly into Miami every three or four months. They're going to spend a week and a half or so with us. They're going to just stay at our house. They're going to see our church. They're going to get to know more disciples. They're going to get to know some of you. I'm going to bring them up here so you can meet them. So that we can build the churches in the Caribbean to be so much stronger. If the Orlando church had 650 disciples, I think you'd have a lot more baptisms than that. 
Why? Well, because you've got trained leaders that have learned how to do this. We're going to really work with them, and I think they're going to get even stronger. In South Asia, we have the churches, the four churches in India, and then the church in Kathmandu, Nepal. Even though we have 453 disciples, they only had about 150 baptized last year. But sadly, after all that's happened with COVID, see, they don't have the technology-type levels that we have or the money that we have. So when we grew during COVID, they shrank. You went out of your house in India, you got beat by the police. You wanted to go to the store and get some bread? They're going to beat you. They had to sneak out at night sometimes. They had to sneak out to go share their faith. I mean, these are our brothers and sisters. You guys already know this, but I'm going to tell you again, we don't waste good. Raja and Debs, they started with just the two of them, and now there's five churches and 450-some-odd disciples. So I don't know what you've done, but they've done a lot. (laughs) But we want to make sure that they're taken care of, so we're going to bring them to Miami in June. They're going to stay in Miami for multiple years. I'm so fired up. Helen and I are going to get, get closer with them. And we needed a couple that was tough. We needed a couple that had grit. We needed a couple that was going to go to India, an American couple. Have you guys ever been to India? Raise your hand you've been to India. Yeah, you've never seen anything like it. The people, unbelievable. The poverty, you can't even, your brain can't imagine. My first time going, I, I was like I had a, a moment, like, what, what, I don't even understand this. The level of poverty is just so extraordinary. So we asked Luke and Brandon Speckman to go lead the church in Delhi. You know, if you can lead a church, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. They lead the church in New York City. You can lead New York. Amen. I think you can go to Delhi. You're tough enough to handle New York, then you're tough enough to handle India. So now we're sending them over there and we're bringing the Rajans into the States. Why? Because you never waste good. There is so much that Raj and Debs are going to be able to do. I would love to see them go back and don't tell them, uh, if this is recorded, Raj, don't listen to this part. I would love to see them go to Pakistan. You know, pasty white guy like me shows up in Pakistan, it's not going to go real well. Raja shows up, they're like, brother! It's no big deal. <laughs> so, we'll see what God does, but... You know, four things that we've been really working on in the Miami church that I want to implement in all the churches in the Sages World sector, there's four basic things. How are we going to get there? How are we going to mature? How are we going to circumcise some junk in our hearts so that we can be the men and women of grit that we never, uh, excuse me, and never waste good? Number one, we've got to teach obedient and heart and regard to quiet times. Like, bro, I thought we were going to talk about something super important. Let me tell you something. If you're not having great times with God, everything else I talk about today will sound like the lady on the Peanuts cartoon. Wah, 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 wah. Remember the teacher? Some of you are too young. You're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you sound like gibberish. If you're not invested in spending time with God, getting into his word, digging in, meditating on it. I love that you guys have memorized the scripture together. But you need to go deeper. You need to understand what God is saying to you. You need to dig deep because you're going to face the trials. You'll be tested. If you don't have grit that comes from being in the word of God, knowing it and applying it, you're not going to make it. And secondly, you've got to be praying. 
So the first one that's going to strengthen all the churches is really have a heart and conviction to have times with God that will change you every day. I mean change you. How many of you had a great quiet time today? Amen? Now I'm not going to ask those of you who didn't. But why didn't you? What were you thinking? If you didn't spend time with God, what were you thinking? It got real quiet, didn't it? got quiet because I want to challenge you. This is not an option like, oh, I'll have a quiet time if I want to. No, no, no. You need to have that time with God. Jesus Christ himself took time with the Lord every single day, and he was the word of God. (laughs) What is that? What? He prayed his guts out. You guys even memorized the scripture with loud cries and tears. That was his quiet time. What was yours? Number two, how are we going to get strong and not waste good? Every disciple needs to get discipled every week. You know, sometimes I'd say that to people and they go, oh, no. Because disciple has become like a bad word. I got discipled. <gasps> it's like, no, no, no. no. Discipling is good. It's going to help you change. It's someone that's going to be able to see you from outside when you can't see yourself. Do you ever have someone tell you something like, Hey, bro, your pants are unzipped. Like, oh, man. Thank God they said something. You've been walking around all day. It's not bad. If I say, hey, bro, zip your pants. I'm not mad at you. I'm not trying to thrash you. I'm trying to help you. If I'm pointing something out in your life that you can change, and please point them out with me. Why? Because I want discipling. I want people to see my life. It's going to save my life. I could tell you stories for days about times I had with people that discipled me over the years that literally changed me for eternity. Thank God. But we have to have a conviction about discipling. Every single person needs to be discipled weekly and have faith in discipling because it's the plan of Jesus Christ. Number three, we need to help every disciple bear fruit. We need to understand evangelism is for life. It's not what I do, it's who I am. And I've slipped in this and I've really gotten convicted the last couple of days. Like, no, this is not going to happen. I'm going to pour my heart out and I'm going to share my faith. Evangelism for life. You know, if you share your faith with 10 people, maybe you'll find someone that'll want to listen to the gospel. But what would happen if you share your faith with 100? Or a thousand. Like, bro, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Evangelism is not just for the leaders. Every single disciple. And what does it take to be evangelistic and really give yourself away to people? Circumcise the hearts. If you're insecure about it, learn to be secure. To this day, I've been sharing my faith for over 30 some odd years. To this day, sometimes I'm like, Excuse me, excuse me, pardon me. Hi, would you like to come to church? I still get nervous. I still get weird. But this is what we were called by Jesus to do. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you nice people. Amen? He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So if you're not a fisher of men, then you're not a disciple. Amen? Are you fishing for men and women? Are you looking to help people get into the word? And it's not just for leaders. Guys, it's for anyone who wants to claim that they follow Jesus. 
And that takes cutting off some stuff. Like, I don't have time. I, we invited this girl that was our waitress today, and she goes, I, I don't have time for church. And I just went, can you imagine Judgment Day? She's standing there, she goes, yeah, but Jesus, you don't understand. I just didn't have time. And yet, sometimes as disciples, we say things like, I didn't have time to share my faith. I was too busy. Doing what? What in the world? But that's the trap I fell in. I got too busy managing things. I have to repent. It's been exciting turning that around. And number four, how are we going to get to a place where we don't waste any good? You need to be generous for life. Amen. Generosity. I appreciated the, the contribution by Chaz today. Just being able to give. Giving is a natural overflow of the heart. From Genesis, the first man and woman, it was an issue. All the way to Revelation, it's an issue. Why? Because it's an issue in our hearts. We've got to learn to be generous in our giving, generous with our time. And I think God is going to really bless you. We need to teach everyone to obey the scriptures, to be a true disciple. And not just allow ourselves to be an Americanized, comfortable Christian, yeah. which is no Christian at all. Yeah. But disciples laid on their lives. I want you to ask yourself in 2021, what good did I not do? What did I let slide? And put it to death in 2022. I'm not going to let it slide. You might have to pray about it fast about it, get a lot of help about it, have someone hold you accountable until it changes, but it can absolutely change. But point number one, never waste good. Amen? Amen. Point number two, look at verse 6 in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 verse 6 says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Does that sound counterintuitive right there? They're trying to go preach the word and Jesus says no. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, he didn't say no, he's redirecting them. Let's keep reading. So they passed by Mysia and went on down to Troas. So they go to Troas like, man, we want to go to Asia. We want to go preach the word. We want to go make it happen, but Jesus won't let us. It's not really most of our problems, but... Right here, they're being redirected. So verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach to them. Wow, that's leadership right there. Here's an interesting, interesting thing happening. Paul is preaching in Phrygia and Galatia. He heads to Asia. This is where the seven churches of Asia are, right? In the book of Revelation. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. But they can't go there right now. The Holy Spirit and Jesus say, no, you're not going there. So they go to Troas. And they're like, man, what are we supposed to do now? we got to go preach the word. Help us figure out what to do. And that night, Paul is so disturbed that he has this crazy dream. You ever just had so much on your mind and you have all these dreams? You wake up like, whoa. Yeah. And those are the ones you remember and you tell everybody about. You know, and then there was a shark, and then I was falling off a cliff, and you know, and you create all this crazy stuff. And then Chris Kolpeck showed up, you know. <laughs> Paul is so disturbed in his spirit, he has this crazy dream. In the dream, he sees the man in Macedonia, which they've never been to. 
Macedonians across the sea over into Europe. They're like, no, no, we want to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, time to go over here. He has this dream of a man in Macedonia begging him. Have you seen people on the street begging? You know, you got their sign? That is not what I'm talking about. I'm going to say something that's going to offend some people. I'm just going to say it. In America, we're the only country in the world that our poor people are fat. Our homeless people. Yeah, oh, bro, that's, that's okay, it's uncomfortable. But let, me, let me make a point. I'm not talking about a guy on the corner begging. They can go somewhere else and eat. We do have some poverty issues in America, obviously. I'm talking about a guy that's on his knees going, I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about a place to live. I am begging you to come to Macedonia. We have no hope, and you've got it. He's begging him. And it's dream Paul sees. I can imagine the guy's crying. Paul, please come and save us. That's what I'm talking about. Paul wakes up and he goes, we got to go. We got to go. The leader had the dream. And the people, Luke is in this. He says, we got ready at once. Concluding that God had called us, not just Paul, but us to preach to them. In a country they'd never been to, on a continent they'd never been to. And they get up and they all go. You know, Proverbs 29:18 says, Without revelation, the people cast off restraint. Without vision, the people perish. The Geneva version of the Bible says, Without vision, the people decay. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your Christianity? Or you're just kind of moseying through life. You're not going to make it. You need grit. You need a type of dream that you will die for, that you will live for, that you'll go through anything for, or something's going to take you out. Without vision, the people decay. Are you a visionary? See, with vision, the people live, thrive, and multiply. Right now, maybe you have a dream that you're trying to accomplish for God, but you feel blocked by God. What are you willing to go through to see where he wants you to go? Maybe you're trying to go through the wrong door. Wait on the Lord. Figure out what he wants. Fight for it. Your dream from God is something he wants you to live for and be willing to die for. You know, I, uh, we oversee the church is up in the Northeast right now, until June at least. And Luke Speckman called me one day and says, hey, Matt, I think we're going to rent a building. I go, fine. He goes, no, no, I mean we're going to lease it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, for five years. I go, bro, bro, bro. I don't know if that's a good idea. Lease a building for five years. What if the church outgrows it? And then we'll have two services or three services. I said, bro, why, why are you doing this? He said, Matt, you got to understand. To rent a building big enough for the church to fit in for three hours in New York City costs $5,000. I go, okay, maybe you should lease the building. <laughs> so he calls me up and he's got it. He says, bro, I signed the paper. Here, I want to show you. So we're on, we're on uh, the video there, you know. And he's walking through and he shows me. He first sends me a couple pictures and I go, Oh, Lord, what have you done? I go, bro, uh, that kind of looks like a dungeon. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to watch. Here, I'm going to put you on video, and I'm going to walk through, and I'll show you. And as he's walking through, like, I see wires hanging from the ceiling. I swear at any moment I was going to see a group of uh, zombies in the corner. You know, remember the story? <laughs> Will Smith comes walking. In. <laughs> and I was like, literally, I was like, bro, what have you done? He goes, no, 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 it's going to work. 
It's going to work. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tear out this wall. I'm going to redo all the wiring. I'm going to redo the plumbing. I'm going to tear out this wall. I'm going to tear out the floor. And I go, bro, what, are you serious? He goes, yeah, we're going to do it. He had a dream, and I was like, bless your heart. You're going to do it. <laughs> Call me later, you know. Over the next several months, they took 40 tons of debris out of that building. Luke and about four of the guys. 40 tons. They loaded them in a wheelbarrow, put them in the elevator, went down, dumped it. Loaded them in the elevator, put them in a... <laughs> 40 tons! I remember when he sent me the picture of the piles. There was piles that was as high as that speaker. Just rubble, trash, garbage just piled up. I'm like... But Luke goes, I have a vision. <laughs> I was like, hey. you know, we got to go up there in late December. And I walked into the building. It was literally, I swear I heard angels. I walked in. Like, <laughs> it was gorgeous. Beautiful place. In prime real estate in Manhattan. And he got that thing for super dirt cheap. Why am I telling you this? Because, dude, what does it take to do something like that? It takes vision. But it takes visionary grit and now it's paying off the church is so fired up they can meet there morning noon and night they have devos there they have quiet times there whatever they want they go there now i'm not saying let's all go buy a building here okay please that's what I'm saying. but in new york city that's what they had to do and they did it what is your vision what do you want to get done for god you know i i, I do like winston churchill is my second quote from winston no, it's not just Winston, it's Winston, you know, good buddy. Says it's not enough that we do our best. Sometimes we have to do what is required. What are you doing for the Orlando church? What dream do you have for the Orlando church? What are you willing to go through? Would you move 40 tons of debris for the Orlando church so that it would get stronger and better? It's going to take vision, it's going to take grit, and you can never underestimate vision, point number two. Close out in verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis, from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. You ever try to go somewhere and you're expecting to find a place of prayer? You're like, okay, I'm going to go over here and pray. And there's like a bunch of people there. You're like, what? Sat down and began to speak to the women. So it's a bunch of women. <laughs> women. Always getting in the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, Paula. It's okay. And they began to speak to the women who had gathered. See, he, he knew point number one. You never waste good. Paul goes, well, there's women here. I'm going to preach the word. Amen. Paul had a vision. I'm not going to underestimate this vision. So he started preaching the word. Figured, hey, let's just talk to these women. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. She was not yet a disciple, but she was a worshiper of God. She's trying to figure out how to be close to God. What do I do? But she needed to hear the message because Paul had a vision. 
He went and preached. But right here, there was a moment that Paul could have felt defeated. Like, fine, I wanted to go pray, and all I find is a bunch of women. But point number three, never feel defeated. He could have just felt sorry for himself. It's fine, let's go somewhere else, whatever. Rolled his eyes a little bit. But he said, he goes, you know what? I'm not going to be defeated. We are here. There's a reason these women are here. He starts preaching the word. Lydia comes on out. They preach the word to her. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I'm going to trust your Bible knowledge here. Then they cast out a demon from a girl who's telling the fortunes, futures, uh, fortune teller. And it causes a bit of a ruckus. So they get thrown in jail. While they're in jail, it says in verse 24, upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait a minute. They're in prison because they were preaching the word. They cast a demon out of a girl to help her. They could have felt defeated. Instead, they're in there and they're singing to God and they're praying. Yeah. I don't know how your weekend was, but that's pretty awesome. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. They the jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. You know, what a victory. Never feel defeated. Even in prison, after being beat, treated horribly, lied about once again. They help someone else become a disciple. You know, I have another quote from Winston Churchill. One of his most famous speeches, he said, This is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 and nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Most people remember that speech as the never, never give up speech. He never said never, never give up. This is actually what he said. The whole thing. But most people remember it wrong, but they remembered the heart. Never feel defeated. At this time when he said this, Great Britain was being beat to death. They were being humbled. They were being pummeled by bombs. And Winston goes, never give up. Matter of fact, in the bunker, he, as the bombs are going off, he goes, I find this invigorating. They're being bombed. He's like, this is exciting. Never give up. You know, there's a have it somewhere. Um, if you guys can put up the Sage's Crown of Thorns thing for me. You guys know about the church plantings coming up this year. 
Casablanca, Morocco, who wants to go? Morocco. Woo. Uganda. <laughs> Crouching Tiger 3. Sucre, Bolivia. Cochabamba. I'd never even heard of that place. Cochabamba, Bolivia. Dublin, Ireland, that's my people. Berlin, Germany, Baco, Philippines, Doha, Qatar, Portland, Maine. I was born in Maine. We're finally getting to Maine. You know what you're called if you're born in Maine? Maniac. Now you understand. Amen. Manchester, New Hampshire, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Auburn, Alabama, we're going, Iowa City, Iowa, Kansas City, Kansas, Louisville, Kentucky, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Wow. Wow. See, many of those cities, except for Baton Rouge and um, Auburn, seem so far away. So distant. Oh, yeah, someone else will do that. Maybe Chaz will go. Hey, man, go, bro. I don't know. How about you? How about you? No, no, I want to stay in Orlando the rest of my life. Well, you might. We need people to stay and keep preaching the word. Amen? But we also need people that will go. And those who don't go stay, and they raise money. That's just what we do. You know, Hal and I got to go on the mission field and to Santiago, Chile, we were there for three years. I didn't speak Spanish. I had to learn Spanish. On the mission field, I learned Spanish. I was the only guy in the church who didn't speak Spanish. And I was the leader. That was challenging. But I remember every month when I got a paycheck, I was like, thank you, Lord. It was because American disciples raised money and sent it to us. I understand what it means to be on the mission field. Helen and I went there. We took our three little kids and we said, you know what? We're going to do this for the Lord. That's what our brothers and sisters around the world are doing. So when you raise money for them as missions comes up in May, I want to challenge you to give everything you've got. Pour yourself out. But something a little more personal is we have the Sage's Crown of Thorns plan. And we have the worldwide Crown of Thorns plan. This is the Sage's Crown of Thorns plan. So what does that mean? Well, Sage's stands for South Asia, Gulf, and Eastern States. So right now, we oversee all the churches in the, in the eastern United States, except the mid-Atlantic states, D.C. and all those states there. And we are going to evangelize those two regions, northeast United States and southeast United States. That's what we're going to do. In addition to that, we've been charged with overseeing South Asia. In India, there are 1.3 billion people. In South Asia, with the eight nations of South Asia, there are almost 2 billion people. It's the most densely populated area in the world. That is our responsibility. That is our charge. That's why when I think of Luke and Brandon going to lead the church in Delhi, they're not just leading Delhi. They're going to help Delhi plant Pakistan and Bangladesh and Afghanistan. Amen. That's what we're doing. So in this plan, what we decided is that our Jerusalem, kind of like the first century church, is Miami. It's the pillar church for the world sector. Our Judea and Samaria is the southeastern United States. Our Judea is Orlando, Gainesville, Tampa, and Miami. Our Samaria is Atlanta, TNT, Auburn, Baton Rouge, Starkville, Fayetteville, Knoxville. Amen. And to the ends of the earth are, well, to the ends of the earth. 
In 2015, we officially got the Port-au-Prince Haiti Church going. Amen. Now there are 11, uh, 11 churches there, 650 disciples, plus about 50 more in the Dominican Republic. Why? Because we decided to send money and take care of our brothers and sisters there in Haiti. It is the poorest place in the Western Hemisphere. If you send a million dollars today, you have to send a million tomorrow. And if that's what they need, that's what we're going to do. Guys, these are brothers and sisters. We're trying to get them right now over to Dominican Republic so they can go to the Caribbean Conference in April. And I want many of you to go. Yes. We'll be in Santo Domingo in April. How many want to go? Amen? Can I get more? Why, why is this so important? Most of the 654 disciples, only three, have ever been to the States and seen other disciples. We need to go. They can't come here. They don't have any money. They make 200 bucks a month. We need to go to them. So I'm asking you guys, you're like, bro, it's too much money. No, it's not. It's not enough money. Do whatever you got to do. I want you to go. If they could meet you and see you, they're going to go, this is awesome. I'm a part of a worldwide movement. We're going to have Anthony and Cassie almost there from the parish church leaders. We're going to have... Um, Tulio Mbaitza from Bogota, Colombia there. Blaze Fumba from Abidjan Ivory Coast will be there. Helen will be there. I'm going to have all of the Sages U.S. church leaders go. We're going to have a retreat a couple days beforehand. Then they're all going to be at the Caribbean Conference. I want you to go. Why? It's for you, but it's really for our brothers and sisters in Haiti that never, ever would get another chance to meet you. They've never seen the kingdom besides what they see there. That's it. Many of them, I'm just going to be blunt, many of them have never seen a white disciple. They're like, oh, look, there's white disciples. I'm serious. They've never seen a Latino disciple. Like, oh, there's Latino disciples. There's French disciples. There's disciples all over the world. They need to see this. So I'm asking you to find a way to go. 2018, we planted Delhi. That is our crown of thorns church there in South Asia. In 2024, we're going to actually plant the church in Santo Domingo. Who wants to go? Amen. Then in 2016, we're going to plant the church in Kingston, Jamaica. From Santo Domingo, Port-au-Prince, and Kingston, we can evangelize all of the rest of the Caribbean nations. That's exciting. From Delhi, we'll be able to evangelize all the rest of South Asia. Guys, that's what we're about. But that takes a lot of hearts. Sometimes you might feel defeated. Right now, we cannot figure out how to get Luke and Brandon into India. It's too hard. It's too much. So we should quit, right? No, no, no. Point number three, never feel defeated. There is a way. They're going to get in. I still don't know how, and they're supposed to leave June 1st. But we're finding a way. I need you to pray with me. God, open the door. Knock down the walls of prejudice and racism and garbage and all this stuff that happens so that we can't get in there. We need to get in there. You guys with me? We need to get as many of the Haitian disciples to DR as possible. Right now, it looks like almost impossible to get them there, so we should just give in, right? No, you never feel defeated. We're going to fight, and I need you guys to pray with me. God, open the door. We need to get as many as possible to go to the Caribbean Conference. Seems impossible, but we're never going to quit. Yeah. 
So today, what's it going to take? It's going to take grits. You need to never waste good, never underestimate vision, and never feel defeated. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I think Winston Churchill just got done preaching because uh, that's powerful. And you know what? I realize I'm sitting there going, and it was, it was convicting. And that's what a sermon should be. If you're too comfortable, you should be disturbed. If you're disturbed because of sin or something that, that you know you can change, then you'll be comforted. What's Matt really saying here? Grit, spiritual grit. The first, if you, if you, he said the four things that we need to focus on, and one of them was have take great times with God. Because if you don't understand how important your salvation is, you won't be moved in a way what Matt preached. It, it, it no matter what, no matter what is said, even if you run out and, and you may go strong on his powerful conviction emotion, if you don't give deep and realize the life that truly is the, what you're living for is the life to come. That's what the Bible says. Does that mean throw away your stuff today? No. That means live to grow close to God and go, God, your will, not my will. That's a powerful prayer. God, help me to not not want to surrender to your will. Help me not to hold on too much to the temporary things. And when you pray that, God will continue to make it clear. But why do he say we're going to get there? Why do he say we're going to do these incredible things? Because Jesus says, go make disciples. So once you become a disciple, he's not playing around. He's not like saying, do it. And then in the 21st century, let it all calm down. And what convicts me is to see the heart of the disciples in the first century to help others be saved once they're saved, it convicted me. So what do you do? You walk out of here not overwhelmed. You go, God, help me grow closer to you and have your vision and let me be willing to step out of my comfort zone and take one more step in what I'm supposed to do in Orlando and then continue to be a great disciple and realize the church from God's eyes in heaven is disciples around the world. That's his. So walk out and realize where are you if you have questions and you want to study the Bible. This is a church that really strives to go, we're going to be spirit-led and accomplish and really live for God until God takes us. And if you're grateful for your salvation, like I know Fabi and Nunca last week were baptized. Where are they? Where are you guys? Where's Fabi? Fabi and Nunca, where are they? They got baptized last Sunday. They understand because they study. It's not an emotional thing. You study the Bible. So once again, Matt, thanks for uh, shredding us spiritually. But it's a great thing because he's calling us to do what Jesus does. So thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much, Helen. Awesome. So let's come up, have the singers. Let's close out with one last song, guys, and let's go make disciples and love God with all our heart. Amen.